Good morning to each of you. What, uh, what a joy to be in the house of God, or as we call it, a gym. <laughs> I know some of you have been traveling, and uh, uh, so happy to see you today. Uh, we've been going through Ephesians. Didn't know if you all knew that or not. We are in the sixth chapter. I have two sermons left in the book of Ephesians. And I don't know what to do with myself after that. Uh, but we, uh, we have some ideas, and we will begin uh, probably in August with uh, a new series. But we're in Ephesians chapter 6 today, and uh, looking at the issue of spiritual warfare. This is part two of this. I've been making the statement that basically we do not inhabit the earth, but we cohabit the earth. There are other beings, other spirit beings that are in the earth. They are not flesh and blood, but they are spirit and they are just as real as we are without bodies. They have personalities. Uh, they, they have desires and appetites with no body, with no flesh to express their appetites through. And so they like to do it through whoever will let them in. and Whoever will permit their activity in their life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes or wiles or craftiness of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers and authorities and world powers, uh, even spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly or in the invisible places, invisible realms. Every time that Jesus sent his disciples out, one man writes, he said he gave them instructions to cast out demons. Have you noticed that? When Jesus sent his disciples, this is Matthew 10, 1, he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. That's the first thing that he gave to them was the authority to cast out demons. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10 and verse 17, it says that he, that the disciples that he had sent out, they came back to him. And it says that, verse 17, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now that's symbols for demon powers. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall harm you. Amen. We need to remember that when we take on these enemies. And here Jesus 
or, or the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 is telling us about these enemies and that they're not just enemies of apostles. They're not just enemies of disciples. They're not just enemies of pastors and, and, or missionaries. They are our enemies, everyone's enemies. He's writing to the Ephesians. He's not writing to Mother Teresa here. So these are Christians, everyday Christians, who need the armor of God. And we've divided them into two groups. Uh, in, beginning in verse 14 is the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, and verse 15, shoes of peace. So we looked at that last week. Truth, righteousness, and peace as our first three weapons. And uh, then he names three more in verse 16 and 17. And overall, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Those are the three I want us to look at today. Um, the first three you have on. Having on the belt of truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having on the shoes of peace. The next three you take up, taking up the shield of faith and taking up the helmet of salvation, taking up the sword of the Spirit. So make a, distinguish, make a distinction between those two groups, the first three and the second three. Because the first three you have on all the time, truth, righteousness, peace. That's, he calls us to constantly live with those three things, truth, righteousness, and peace. But the second three, he says, take up. That is, in the evil day, in a day of crisis, take up the shield of faith. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So those are the three we want, us to, we want to look at today. And let me just uh, point out one quick thing here. And this comes from Isaiah 59 and verse 16 and 17, I believe we've got that. Um, Isaiah 59 talks about how that the Lord saw there was no man, no one to help. There was no intercessor. So, uh, therefore, His arm brought salvation. He did it. And He says in Isaiah 59 17, And He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He did it. So the Lord puts on a breastplate of righteousness. The Lord has a helmet of salvation. What the apostle here in Ephesians 5, when he mentions the helmet of salvation in verse 17 and the breastplate of righteousness in verse 14, he's simply saying, look, there is in Jesus Christ, there is in the Lord, what you need in order to stand against the devil. You can't stand against the devil without hiding in the Lord and obtaining his strength. Uh, but your weakness, whatever weakness that may be, maybe your weakness uh, is that you are a sick 
Maybe your weakness is that you are uh, tempted. Maybe your weakness is that you are anxious or you're a, a worrier. Whatever your weakness is, he's saying there's something in the Lord that will make up for that in you. Your weakness is a signal to seek the Lord's strength and to recognize, <clears throat> as he puts it in Colossians chapter 2, you are completed in Him. You are totally completed in Him. What is lacking in you, you can make up for in Him. So that your failure is simply a cry for something in God that you've not yet appropriated. The risen Lord stands in His fullness and His glory and with every virtue that you need to stand in life and against Satan. But your weakness simply points out the area that you need to go to Him for. So let it be a calling to you. Let it be your special area where you seek God. Um, <clears throat> in, let's look, though, at these three, the shield of faith, would be first one, and that is the things you take up. I think last week we talked about it in terms of a football player. When he goes to the sidelines, he's not, he's not engaging the opponent. So he takes off his helmet, but he doesn't take off his shoulder pads or his, or his cleats. Um, in the same way, if he goes back in, he puts on certain things. This is the way it is in spiritual warfare. When we actually engage the enemy or he engages us, then there are these three things are what you need specifically to pick up, to put on, to take up in a special way. So that's what the three things we want to look at today. These are crisis responses to spiritual battles. Number one, he gives to us here in verse 16, in everything take up the shield of faith. Now this shield that the apostle describes here, there were actually two kinds of shields in the Roman army, which he's probably using to describe it. Uh, there was a round one that would, that would be uh, like a gladiator. But, but when you're in the army, there's an oblong, almost like a door. Um, you can see how these are probably true to form in terms of the size of a shield. And this is the word that's used here. It's not the round, short, or smaller shield. It is the long, large shield. He says, this is a shield of faith. It will quench all of the fiery darts of the enemy. Now, what's a fiery dart? Well, it's something that comes to you. It's a thought that sticks in you that fires you up about something you shouldn't be fired up about. It's Johnny Cash's song, Ring of Fire. We've all got our little ring of fire. For some, it's like Satan throws the fiery dart of anger. Um, it, it usually feels like heat. That's why it's described as a fiery dart. And they would, uh, 
they would, the enemy would hide behind bushes. And that's one of the things that Satan does and demons do, that they hide. They don't want you to know it's from them. They want to catch you unawares. So they toss it in a vulnerable moment and that hits you and begins to burn. And it can be lust or anxiety or worry or despair or anger. Have you ever just been so angry and it's like irrational and illogical? I was uh, reading this week about a church that's, uh, that's uh, all divided. It's a church out of state, and I was reading about it. And the way that the guy described it, he said, everyone is ablaze. Ablaze. Huh. Why would he use that word? Well, there's some fiery darts being thrown, is my guess. A man came to me some time ago, and um, he was uh, all boiling over with turmoil in his life. And it had to do with some people in the church, in his church. And he, as he was talking to me, I could sense the fire. And I said to him, have you considered the role of Satan in this event? and in your life, and in this experience, and in this emotion? Have you considered the role of Satan? And he looked at me as if I had just spoke a for, spoken a foreign language. Most Christians do not realize that they are engaged in spiritual warfare, and that Satan loves to defeat you by getting you on fire for something other than than God, and by something other than the Holy Spirit. He will set you on fire. And you're so mad, or you're so, you're so covetous for something, you want something so bad. You'll do anything to get it. You're just on fire for it. Have you all heard that song, this, this girl sings? This girl is on fire. you all heard that? How many of you have heard that? Cough it up. Look, look, look at all this. Uh, who is that? Sings it. Who? <laughs> As I should be doing myself. But I thought that, and, and what is she, if you listen, because I looked it up online. I thought, I want to know what she's on fire about, because usually it has to do with sex. But this, it seems to be her ambition to be on top of the world. It's like secular ambition, fame and fortune. And this girl is on fire. Really? How come we Christians can't be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't it time we got on fire? Not with the the fiery darts of the enemy, but our, but our heart and our spirit is on fire with a love for God and a desire to see His name magnified in the earth. That's a fire. And he says, uh, and I said this to him, um, that if had he considered that this was of, of the role of Satan, he hadn't even thought about it. 
But what keeps you up late at night? Turning over, thinking about things. Be not anxious for anything, but pray about everything. That's what the apostle said. Notice something here on this too. Give me that next one up. These shields of faith, uh, as Paul is using them, they are designed to go with the person next to them. When when the Roman soldiers marched forward and advanced against the enemy, they did it with one another. If you do it by yourself, guess what? You got your front is covered, but you're uncovered in the back and on each side. But the the Roman army, they would make little circles and they were just impenetrable. And they could even put those things over their heads too and make a wall on top or a wall in the front, wall on the sides. Because when you have another Christian standing with you, you you are more protected and covered from um, attacks that would be undetected. Uh, The shield of faith, you need, this what this teaches us, and the reason Paul uses this is he is implying, and if not actually teaching it, declaring it, that you need other people's faith and they need yours. That solo Christianity does not produce victorious Christians. You, if you try to live on your own without the faith of other people surrounding you, you will soon be a defeated Christian. This is, uh, by the way, these when the when the soldiers would march forward with this kind of uh, protection from each other, this was called a phalanx, and it was feared by the enemy. Here's when they saw those things coming, they knew how do we get to them. It's hard to get to them. Here's what the apostle says in Philippians chapter 1. I think he's describing a Christian phalanx. A small group of powerful, prayerful believers marching forward in the name of Jesus with their shield of faith standing up upright. Here's the way he puts it in Philippians chapter 1. He said... Uh, that I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is to them a sign of their destruction, but to you of your salvation from God. When you got side by side with other Christians marching forward, that is an impossible advance for Satan to stop. So the shield of faith would be the first one we would look at here. I want to give you this verse before we leave it. It's Psalm 112. I have quoted this verse many times. Psalm 112, verse 7 and 8. He is not afraid, the believer, is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. He's not, and, and y'all know, there's a lot of bad news today. If you watch any news or get on the internet, it's bad news. Bad news for Christians, bad news for churches. <clears throat> uh, forebodings for the future of the nation. 
Look, Psalm 112.7, He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting. See, that's the shield of faith. Trusting in the Lord. Bad news in the economy, He's not afraid. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. God has a way of taking care of us and providing for us. I think He can take care of us if gas goes up a dollar or another dollar a gallon. Is God suddenly... Oh, I didn't anticipate gas being $4. <laughs> no, Psalm 112.7, he is not afraid of bad news. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Here comes a, a memo at your job on you're going to cut back this year and your job may be in jeopardy. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart, heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Psalm 112 and 7 and 8. So the shield of faith, it will keep... See, the devil, I don't think, always manipulates the circumstances, but he does love to jump in and exacerbate and exaggerate and, and use them against you. All right, the helmet of salvation. This is the second one that we are to take up in the evil day. And that is, you see that in verse 17. And, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. What is that? Well, here's what one writer said that I thought, I thought nailed it. He said, when we look to the God who saves us for rescue, deliverance, when we look to the God who saves us, salvation, our salvation becomes as a helmet. When we look up to the God who saves us, that becomes like a helmet. Uh, no soldier can take a head blow. I mean, that's one thing you want to do is protect the head and the mind. So when we're looking to God, the God who saves, He's a saving, rescuing, delivering God, and our looking up to Him, that becomes a helmet. It means that we're not looking around us, we're not looking to men, we're not trusting and our expectations are not all wrapped up in what someone else can do for us or what the employer or the government can do for us, but we're looking to Him. When we do that, that becomes a helmet on our mind. First Thessalonians 5.8 calls it the helmet, the hope of salvation the hope of a rescue, the anticipation of a rescue. Psalm 34, verse 4, in a time uh, some years ago when I was uh, very uh, worried about things, and I just, in fact, I was worried about several different things, and I just sat down and I, and I listed, here's, I'm afraid this is going to happen, and I'm afraid this is going to happen, and I'm afraid this is going to happen, and I just listed the things I was afraid of. And, and then I read this verse, Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears. Now, I look back, and I made a list of all those fears that are in my Bible. And I look back, and every single one of those half dozen or so things that I was very fearful of, the Lord delivered me from them all. This is some years later, and I can tell you that, and here's the way he puts it. He says, 
they looked to him and were enlightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried. If I ever have an autobiography, that'll be the title. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. All of them. Marriage, finance, health, neighbors. What kind of troubles do you have? He delivers us from all of them. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Praise God. Now that's that's putting on the helmet of salvation. It is looking to God and trusting in Him and persevering in it. All right, and then third, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. He... um, Go to the to I think it's number six. I want to show you this. He says in verse uh, seventeen, "Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is the word of God." Now there are two Greek words for word. Um, there's logos and rhema. Logos would be the word used to describe the whole Bible, the Word of God. If we say the Word of God, that the Word would be the Logos of God. It means from Genesis to Revelation. If we use the word rhema, that would be a quotation out of the Logos. A, 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 and in particularly, it would be a spoken, a memorized and quoted or a read, quoted, verbally stated verse from the written word. Now, the word rhema is the word used right here. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. In other words, the thing that drives back evil spirits is a particular word, a particular verse that you quote out loud. It's the, that's the rhema. It's something you verbally state because Satan does not know what you are thinking, but he can hear what you are saying. He does not know your mind, but he can hear your words. And the truth of God's word is like a sword piercing him and backing him up. He he fears it. It is the if you look at these weapons and pieces of armor. The only real offensive weapon is the Word of God. And that is that spoken, quoted, verbalized Scripture taken out of the Holy Bible. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. Um, Some years ago, we were building this building. Uh, It's like every dollar was just so scrutinized and 
necessary. And um, uh, we came down to the end of uh, one week and we're almost finished. And somebody called and said, uh, we've got $10,000 missing. So I said, how do we have $10,000 just missing? You know, you don't normally misplace 10 grandola. <laughs> well, it left a question mark on me. And, and uh, because I was directing the cash. I was sending it here, sending it there. And I said to him, well, let's let the weekend get over, and on Monday uh, we'll meet, we'll talk. And I was in great prayer and distress over this. And on Sunday morning, in a bedroom at my house, this verse came to me, Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Now, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but I was pretty sure it meant it was going to be okay. The God of peace, see, he gave me peace about it because I was in chaos about it. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Shortly. I need that word shortly. And on Monday, they called me and said, we got it all figured out. Instead of directing the 10000 into the building fund, someone accidentally directed it into the general fund. And so it's there. We just didn't know where it was. And I said, I thought, well, so you know I didn't take it. <laughs> but when they called and said that, I thought, Satan, you are bruised under my feet. There is a written word, a verse that comes right out of the Bible that you, God's Holy Spirit will give you. And you quote it, you hang on to it, you stick by it, you confess it, you write it down, you read it off, you tell it to people. And that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, that, that sword is what really makes the devil nervous. You, can you imagine going on some talk show and quoting a verse of Scripture, what that does to people? Uh, uh, did you know in a courtroom, the lawyers, the jury, the judges can't quote a verse of Scripture? See, you can do all these studies. You can quote a study. You can quote a, a professor and an expert, you can bring in a book, but one verse of Scripture is more dangerous than all those studies. And Satan hates it. It's because it stabs him. And we want to do that. So the Word of God, taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus, in Matthew 4, when he was tempted... Satan came to him and said, why don't you jump off this temple? This, took him up there and maybe people would be amazed and they would think 
you don't have to be crucified to save us. And, and, and Jesus turned to him and he, and he said, Thou shalt not, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He quoted scripture with every single temptation of Jesus. I mean, uh, every time Satan would come at him, Jesus would come and quote a verse of scripture. A, a rhema out of the logos. And I think that gives us our victory. The the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to live in absolute victory over the enemy. We pray that our minds would be protected by the helmet of our focus on you and by the, by the shield of our faith in you and by the word by which we drive back the enemy. God, send your blessing and help us to defeat him as we stand in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for victory in Jesus. Amen.